My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Welcome to episode 107 of Legally Clueless. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, make sure you join our Instagram page, which is at Legally Clueless Podcast. I've put a link to it in the description. And if you chit chat about this podcast on Twitter, please use the hashtag Legally Clueless. So let me just get this up and out there at the very beginning. This episode is going to be really about sexual violence. And I know this is a topic that can be very triggering. And if that's the case, maybe you might want to hold off on listening to it. However, the reason I am really centering this particular topic is because I always share what I've gone through in the week. And this week (laughs) has been all about that. And also our story that's coming up on 100 African Stories. And it's from Zambia, one of my really cool sisters. I'm so fortunate to have virtually met her last year. She is going to be sharing about surviving rape and her very terrible experience with the police and in healthcare facilities. Listen to this. My name is Chulu and I'm from Zambia and it was a Friday, the 10th of June in 2011. And then I encountered three men. They grabbed my bag, ran off with it. Two other men appeared and then they pulled me on the side. They had a a knife and they pushed me to the ground, kicked me in the stomach and they raped me. A policeman is examining me. Then he says to me, you don't look dirty enough. The first person we saw was a junior doctor who kept making me repeat that I was raped, the detective comes in and says, oh yeah, the one that was raped, loudly announcing and proclaiming. This literally silenced me. This whole experience silenced me. It, it, took, it took my voice. I am so thankful to Chulu, who is also a podcaster, for reaching out and Picking this particular story to share. It's going to be coming a little later in this episode. All right, so this week has been a shit show. Ah, such a shit show. So, just to bring everybody up to speed, because not everybody is from Kenya, you may have never heard of this very violent experience. A woman in Kenya was thrown off the 12th floor by Moses Gataman Joroge. And this was because she went to meet him on a date. She rejected his sexual advances at the end of the date. She actually wanted to just go back home. And it resulted, her no resulted in him throwing her off of the 12th floor. This story was then covered on an urban station here in Kenya called Homeboys Radio on the breakfast show by three male hosts, DJ John Falme, Shafi Weru, and Neville. And they, I don't know, it's, it's still so perplexing to me how they did this, but they reduced that violent experience to calling Kenyan women loose and too available. <sighs> So first and foremost, (laughs) one of 
these male presenters, Shafi, used to be my co-host and before be my co-host, my co-worker at my previous job that is a sister brand to this particular radio station. And there was no doubt in my mind once, you know, the video of this conversation was sent my way that my loyalty is to women and to survivors, especially when it comes to sexual violence. I find it so strange that people have a hard time understanding that if you normalize sexual violence, it directly creates an environment that allows said sexual violence to thrive. How hard is it to connect the dots? So it therefore means if you normalize sexual violence, there must be very strong repercussions for this. So the presenters... After a lot of agitating from women who I just have to commend, ended up being fired. There were some very appropriate measures from like advertisers, the communications authority, all of that towards the station. And then the shit show (laughs) went into gear two when all of this was being done. Actually, even while I'm recording this, because there's an uproar from some men online saying oh this is too tough women are against us like a lot of ignorance I'm actually trying not to interact with it what I'm doing is when I spot it I block you I'm just like thank you universe for creating this opportunity for me to see that this person actually sees no problem with women getting abused women getting raped women being thrown from the 12th floor And as such, even if I know this person personally, this is not a person that deserves to be in my space block. And then there's also the men. And and this, this one is perplexing to me because it's always happened whenever I speak about sexual violence. There's always a couple of weirdos who bring up cases of male survivors of sexual violence or men who've been killed by a woman. And they bring up these stories to silence women fighting for their safety. They never bring it up to actually spotlight that, hey, this is not right. They bring it up to silence women who are fighting for their safety, which I think first is so disrespectful to these male survivors. You're using their stories as pawns. And it also shows me that you are aware that this is happening and you have just been silent about it. You know what I mean? Because for you to bring up the story, you know it is happening. Those I always find so perplexing. I always have. And it's been happening. I've seen it happen for years. It's just very strange to me. I think a lot of men need to introspect, need to sit in the discomfort of what society is, where a woman saying no ends up with her being thrown out of the 12th floor. You need to sit in the discomfort of your own problematic beliefs or actions. Confront them. Don't deflect and now start getting into sideshows. Introspect and learn. You also have to sit in the discomfort of the beliefs or actions of those around you. Like the people who you call your friends. They're in your friend circle. Like right now, as the shit show is happening on whatever social media platform, those men who are even threatening to rape women who are fighting for their safety and dignity, because I've actually just received one of those comments. That man 
belongs to a certain social circle, a social circle that follows him, that can see this madness he's spewing. Why are they silent? I don't know, man. Like on one hand, I am so thankful for everyone who used their platform to speak up against sexual violence, to fight on behalf of survivors because we cannot be navigating our healing. And then on one hand, trying to educate people. (laughs) Come on. So I'm so thankful to everybody who has been, is, and will continue to speak up. I'm in awe of how women organize over the past couple of days. I have been in WhatsApp groups that have made me feel less alone, have shown just how much power there is in us as women working together and coordinating. I've, I've just been in awe of that and I'm so thankful for that. But on the other hand, I've noted the people who are silent. <laughs> I have a bittersweet relationship with advertisers pulling out of the show. I appreciate it because it's a great strong stand and it means that action has to be taken but then there's like a small voice that is like wow so profits and money are worth more than my life as a woman you know what I mean like we have to go to that extent for you to see how important this is so I've had like (laughs) very many different emotions during during this time and in fact everything I've gone through is even linked to the song of the week so yesterday I was hosting an event virtually that was co-sponsored by UN Women, Action Aid, and the Embassy of Mexico in Kenya because this week there's a huge forum happening in Mexico called Generation Equality. It's all about fighting for gender justice. And so the forum I was hosting was a prelude to this, made up of some fantastic youth speakers. My God, I was so inspired. And performances from musicians, poets. It, it was just beautiful. And I was surrounded by women who even when I got to the venue knew what was happening online, knew perhaps it may be affecting me, were so loving. <sighs> so one of the women is an artist called Sarah Mitaru. She is a Kenyan artist and she was performing different songs. One of them that moved me is a song by her called Nimefika. In fact, I just chatted her and I was like, where is the song? I can't find it online. I want to share it on my podcast. She's like, I haven't even really recorded it. So once she records it, I'll definitely share with you. But there's another song she performed that is by her sister. Her sister's name is Wambura Mitaru. Ah, so she performed this song and I was just like, I'm really identifying with it because I'm feeling so aware of like the spaces of sisterhood that are around me, the spaces of support. When I had this song, I was just like, ah... I hope I don't cry. <laughs> my makeup. <laughs> um, my false lashes just start <laughs> falling. <laughs> oh my God. So the name of the song is Shoulder Brother. There's a link to it in the description of this episode. It's such a sing-along song. Even the music video has different people singing along to the song from like different countries. It's such a sweet song. And so, yeah, make sure you check it out. Link to it is in the description. All right, I want us to go into 100 African stories. Again, as I said at the beginning, this episode is really around sexual violence. And so is the story. Let me tell you about our storyteller. Her name is Chulu. Chulu is from... From Zambia. And how I met Chulu, I will always love her for this, 
is a very random email came in one day and it was Chulu who we'd never met before just said she wants to host a call for various African female podcasters. So I was like, sign me up, as in... when where i am inside and this was just last year so we did a virtual call and it was so beautiful she single-handedly started this space for african female podcasters to just have bi-monthly calls talk about the various wins and challenges that we're facing in the space some of us have had like breakout calls where we talk about revenue streams and give each other advice go through each other's proposals give insights advice and i always say trulu do you really know how powerful this thing you've done is just randomly started by one email sent to random african female podcasters none of us knew each other truly didn't know any of us and then it's resulted in this beautiful sisterhood i'll tell you a bit more about her podcast after her story and chulu's story talks about surviving rape and spotlights how broken the system is when it comes to seeking justice from the police and going to get help from healthcare facilities. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Chulu and I'm from Zambia. I'm a designer by heart and I'm a mother of a beautiful, amazing young man. He's a teenager right now. And yeah, I just love life. I love beautiful things and I love I love people as well. <laughs> so I guess one of the things people always ask me at the age of 36 <laughs> in all these years is, you know, who are you dating? And I, whenever someone asks me that, I always pause and think about how I was made to not necessarily trust men. <laughs> And it's it's quite unfortunate. Anyway, the answer is nobody. But I do want to share a story about a particular day in my life. And it was a Friday, the 10th of June in 2011. It basically, it was a normal day. Actually, it wasn't a normal day. We were having a, a function at work. So there was a, a party. I think it was I can't even remember what we were celebrating, but we're having a party. And I was a receptionist at an advertising company. And we I was in charge of the party. So, you know, going out and getting all the the booze and organizing all the, the entertainment, music, and all of that great stuff. I actually was living in a town which is south of Lusaka. And Lusaka is the capital city of Zambia. So it was... I don't know, it's about two hours, no, not two hours, about an hour away. Um, And I used to commute to Lusaka every day. So I knew we were having this party and it was going to be in the evening. So I had really decided that, okay, I was going to spend the night in Lusaka, just find a place to stay. So I, I woke up that day and I found a dress which my sister had sent me. She had actually sent two matching dresses, uh, one for me and my mom. And mine was, it's a, it is a, a sleeveless dress, quite short. Um, it had yellow flowers on it and it was, it was cute. It was like really cute. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I thought, okay, this would be a great time to wear this. You know, she had gifted this to us and I hadn't uh, necessarily worn it before. Um, and I had picked out my gold 
um, heels. I actually, one of my my workmates used to call me Van Alexon, which means li- literally a mother of legs, because he said my legs, you know, went for days. But, you know, I thought, okay, this would be cute. I'll look cute in this. So went to work. Work was there, you know, organizing the party and all of that. The party was a success. Uh, Everybody enjoyed themselves and they had fun. After the party had ended, I went with a fellow workmate and went to have a second party after the fact. So we went uh, and, I don't know, found some place that was happening and so on and so forth when we decided that it was time to retire i specifically said that i wanted to be dropped off at a lodge and this guy did not want to drop me off at the lodge so he took me to his home and i did not want to go to his home and this is around 2 a.m in the morning it was really late he drove to his house and was the car was parked and he parked the car outside and he went inside to talk to his wife. Then I decided, okay, I don't want to stay here. I'm just going to jump out. And I could hear, the, it's, it was an area which was near um, some clubs. So I could hear like the music playing and I thought, okay, I'm sure I'll find taxis there. I'll, I'll get in a taxi and then I'll, I'll find my way to a hotel, lodge, whatever it is. So that's how I jumped out of the car and I started walking. I had my bag on me. My bag had quite a lot of money because I knew I had, you know, cash. And uh, back then, you know, it was still quite a cash society. So I had cash on me. I had phones. I had a number of things on me in my bag. And I started walking. And then I encountered three men. One was a really tall guy. And the other two were shorter than him and then they you know they started um saying words to me very aggressively and i was i wasn't sure what exactly they their intentions were they you know they came up to me and they grabbed my bag and just ran off with it my bag had everything it had my money it had my phones it had everything I was confused, I was dazed, and I started walking in their di- in their direction and just saying, please, please, give me back my bag, give me back my bag, and they ran off. And then the next thing I knew, two other men appeared, and then they pulled me on the side. So they, now these two men were, they had a, a knife, which they held to my neck and they pushed me to the ground, kicked me in the stomach and hit me. And then they raped me. And I think as I remember, I remember as they were taking turns and, you know, they were holding the knife to my neck. I think I just shut down and I looked, I, I looked up and I thought to God, if you want me to survive this night, then I'm just giving everything to you because I don't see a way out of this. The funny thing is I remember lying there and I looked to the side and I saw the three original guys that had robbed me and taken my bag 
And they were walking towards us because these guys basically just threw me down on this in the street, in the middle of the street, the sidewalk. They just threw me down, pinned me down there. So these guys, they were actually walking back. In my mind, I was thinking, help me. Help me. And they just walked by. And I just, I don't understand how someone can do that. They were, they actually brought the bag back and placed it next to, next to the action and walked by. So these two young men uh, decided that they had had enough and they didn't want to get in trouble. So then they, they ran off. So I picked myself up picked up the bag. There was nothing in it. There was no money, nothing. There was no phones, there was nothing. And I walked back to, I walked back to the, the house which I had originally come from with my workmate. And I knocked on the, the gate and he came out and he says, okay, I thought you had gone. I was like, I did. Then I, ex- I explained to him what happened. So I went inside. Um, he, I think he gave me his phone. And the first first phone call that I made was to my mom. And I mean, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, she lives in another town, which is north of north of um, of Lusaka. And you know, she's getting a call from a strange number. And then uh, when she does answer, it's me. And the news I have to tell her is I was raped by two men. And I mean, I I don't think I had even thought through anything else of what was going to happen after that. My first instinct was just to call my mom. So then she gave instructions. She said, go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. I'm coming. So my workmate drove me to a hospital. Uh, Our workplace had a, a scheme at a particular private hospital. But the funny thing is, you know, no matter how much you you pay for certain things, you know, you think, oh, I've got medical insurance, da, da, da. When it's an actual crisis, it doesn't really matter. Because we got to that hospital, we got to the private hospital, and, you know, we explained the situation, and they told us, you cannot be treated in a private hospital. You have to go to a, a, a government hospital. So go to the main hospital in Lusaka. So I drove and went to the, the main hospital. And we were told we had to first report it at the police station. So we went to the, this police post, which is located in the, the hospital. And at that hour, there was only one policeman there. It's a dingy little room in, you know, like the back recesses of the hospital and you know there's this policeman there so go in and explain the situation say okay you know I was raped and he says to me I think by that time I must have been wearing because remember I was wearing that cute yellow dress (laughs) so I must have been wearing um, a wrap which we call chitenges (laughs) so he says to me Take off what you're wearing. I want to see what you're wearing. So I have to take off what I'm wearing. And then he starts touching me and a policeman is examining me. Then he says to me, 
you don't look dirty enough as if to insinuate that I had not been through any any trauma or any violation and at that point I snapped and I started cursing him out my workmate literally had to carry me out of that room so he got whatever the police um, had to write if it was an initial report or whatever it is and then now we could go and see a doctor so we went to the the doctor side of it um sex you know where the doctors are and i think the the first person we saw was a junior doctor who kept making me repeat that i was raped like over and over again and then says oh i can't attend to you you'll have to see the senior doctor um okay where is the senior doctor oh he only comes he only comes in at eight o'clock or something like that but you can't take off your clothes, you can't bath, you have to stay in, in the state that you are. So this is like, I don't know, 3 a.m. in the morning, 4 a.m. Um, by this time, I think my cousin had joined us and I went to stay at, I went to her place to wait out for when this doctor was coming. So we went to her place. I don't think I slept. I was sitting in the sitting room on the floor, just in a ball because I couldn't, I couldn't bath. I sent a message to my best friend who's um, out of the country. And I just said, call me. And she called me. And I, I don't know. I honestly, I, she, she was just with me on the phone. So at 8 o'clock, was back at the hospital to see the senior doctor. Still sitting in my yellow dress with blood on it. Blood stains. And dust and dirt and everything and I wasn't attended to we just sat in the waiting room and they knew I was there we just sat in the waiting room I remember lying on the bench and I mean this is the government hospital guys they're not known for being the best they're disgusting and gross I was lying on the bench with my head on someone's lap my my mom had arrived by then and we waited and waited and waited. I think I, I think the doctor saw me or could see me probably around 11 a.m. So from the original time, that was around 3 or 4 to 11, not attended to. So he, um, he did whatever examination he did. To be honest, I, it's, it's, I mean, you know, like when you're watching the movies, if you're watching CSI and all of these things, people are taking swabs, people are taking your clothes for evidence, all of this kind of stuff. Nothing, nothing. I don't know what this guy was examining me for. I think, no, he wrote on a paper. He wrote on the paper to say she had, or he confirmed she had been raped. Okay. So then they started explaining to me I had to be taking medications quite a number of medications because obviously, you know, don't know where these people have been, don't know whether they've got, uh, you know, any types of diseases. So I had to take preventative, I had to take a lot of preventative medications. I got the medicine and then um, I had to go now to the main police station because now somebody had confirmed, yes, she had been raped. 
So I had to now take this to the main police station to see whether they would do anything about it. So it's afternoon. Went to the police station. And the police station is very busy. You've got the person who is uh, at the front desk who takes your, your statement. So there I was taking my statement in a very busy space. People just walking in and out, walking by, standing there, you know, and they're saying, okay, what happened? Yes, I was raped and this people did this to me. It was in this area, all of that. And just having to just retell that story, just so frustrating. Then they said to me, okay, go and see the detective who is upstairs. That's the person that's going to be assigned to your case. So went upstairs to see the detective. This office is also an open plan office. So there could have been six desks in there, six other detectives or whatever they want to call themselves. The one guy um, who was the detective comes in and says, oh yeah, the one that was raped. Oh, you know, just loudly announcing and proclaiming for anyone who had ears to hear that this is the person that had been violated. So again, have to retell the story. And then he says to me, well, to get the police report, you have to pay so much. I didn't have money. All my money had been stolen. You have to pay this much. And then give us money so that we can investigate and find these culprits. I was I'm like, what are you talking about? Give you money. How, <laughs> how am I supposed to start giving you money to investigate this? And I think by that point, really and truly, I had had enough. I, I just said I want to go home. And to be honest, I never went back. I mean, what's the point? Really and truly, what is the point? I remember we went back to my cousin's place. And they were trying to decide where I was going to go, whether I was going to go back to the family home in Kabwe, which was, as I mentioned, north of Lusaka. And I said to them, I don't want to go back to Kabwe. I, I need to go. I want to go home to Kafue. And I didn't want my son to see me that way. I didn't want my son to see me that way. So I decided to go to Kafue, where I was going to be by myself, in the house anyway. And... So I think I think my my workmate had actually said he was going to take me there and I remember just looking back at the door um at the front door of my cousin's house and my mom was there and her sister had also arrived my aunt and as you know I looked back before I got in the car and they, they just like broke down crying and I jumped in the car and I was driven to my flat in in Kafue. And when I got there, that was when I took a bath. That was my first bath. Just when you're bathing, you're trying to wash off the dirt, but it feels like it's it's not washing off. It's just it just feels feels like like this there's, there's still that horrible horribleness on you. So my aunt uh, actually lived in, in the town in Kafue. She was a few flats, a few blocks away. And she's the one who would come through and just check on me. I am naturally an introvert. <laughs> so I'm a quiet person. But 
this this literally silenced me this whole experience silenced me it it took it took my voice the medicines were so strong they were so strong i couldn't i couldn't take them down i couldn't they would go down and i just they just come back up i just vomit them and i had to go back to the hospital and they had to give me medicine to be able to take the medicine and then it started reacting with me my lips got swollen my digestive tract got swollen so my throat everything just swelled up i was vomiting all the time i mean i lost so much weight um and <laughs> if you've seen me before <laughs> yeah my hips don't lie so I'm curvy and all of that, but all of that was gone. I was so skinny, you know, like here on your shoulder blades. I lost so much weight. You could literally pour water into my shoulder blades and it would act like a cup. That's how skinny I was. I think I retracted into my mind. I don't know, but the the people around me, well, my aunt anyway, and my mother decided that they were going to take me for prayers because you know that's what we do as Africans we pray about everything <laughs> so they wanted me to be prayed on so we are catholic and there's a particular priest um, who at the time was living in uh, the north of the country or in a province called the copper belt he was known as a healer like you know and very prayerful, and um, people basically pilgrimage to him to be prayed on for prayers and, you know, healing and all of that. So they decided that they would take me there. So we went. I don't remember the journey. It takes about nine hours to get there from Kafiri. I don't remember how we got there. But we, we actually arrived really early. It was because you have to arrive there early because he only takes the first people because he gets a lot of people that go there. And we arrived early and we managed to go in. I went in by myself. And so it was just me and this equally quiet man, this priest. So he he asked me what happened. And I said I was raped. And he said, okay. So I said, what do you think I should do? And he said to me, you need to go for therapy. And I think being a, I hate to stereotype, but being a typical African <laughs> You know, we think, oh, therapy, no, it's not for me, and things like that. Hadn't even occurred to me, hadn't even thought about it. But this priest said to me, you need to go for therapy. And that's all he said to me. He prayed for me, and we left. So I, somebody, I don't remember who recommended. Now remember, I've been to the police, I've been to the hospital, I've been to all these places. Has anybody actually ever said, you know, you've been through this experience, these are the the places you can go to, to go and see a counselor, therapist, whatever. Nobody, no one, no one has even mentioned anything like that. Nothing from these facilities or people who are supposed to be helping you. So uh, somebody recommended a particular lady a therapist, a psychologist. Um, I was a receptionist. <laughs> my salary was not the greatest, hey? but my workplace offered to pay very graciously. So they paid for my sessions, and um, that's how I went for therapy. And really and truly, the therapy saved saved my life. It. I was numb. 
I was numb. I had shut down. I didn't want to engage with anyone or anything. But the therapy gave me hope. One of the first things that she told me was, this happens. It happens to people. It can happen to anyone. Whether you're a nun in the longest of dresses or as I was in a short dress with heels and it can happen to anyone and there's no reason to to blame yourself. Rape isn't about the sexual act, but it's it's about power. It's about the other person exhibiting power over you. But most importantly, the media, movies and all of that love to talk about the victim. But I am she said to me, You're you're not a victim. You're a survivor. I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. And I had to internalize that. I think one of the the milestones, another milestone in my recovery was having to go for um, the HIV test. And I think I, I was back at work by then. I called one of my cousins to escort me. So I called her and said, oh, I need a ride. Then when she came, listen, I told her that, oh, actually, I'm going for an HIV test because I was raped. And you have to go after, I don't know how many weeks or months. I can't remember right now. I can't remember. So then she started freaking out. <laughs> so we went to the hospital and uh, they withdrew the blood. And then we were sitting, waiting. And she was freaking out. She was like, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know how to happen this. And so they called me in to get the results. And uh, I was negative. I think one of the, the second, the third milestones that I had to overcome was... I still had the dress, that white dress with yellow flowers, and it had blood stains on it that couldn't quite wash off. This was a gift from my sister, something she had given in love, something to give me joy. So I looked at it, and I'd look at it, because it wasn't taken into evidence, obviously. I'd look at it and just, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know whether to burn it whether to throw it away. I don't know what to do with it. So I decided that I was gonna take back my joy. I was gonna I was gonna wear it. And instead of focusing on what was stolen from me, I was gonna focus on the joy and love that it was given to me. And I remember I, the first time I wore it again was um, my son's sports day and they his his house color was yellow, so I figured okay, let's say it's got yellow on it, so I'll be in the team color, the house colors. So that's the first day I wore it, and every time I wear it, I know that I can't be broken. I know that this almost broke me, but I survived. I know that I am surrounded by people that love me beyond measure. So no matter what you throw at me, no matter what, no matter what you, you think will bring me down, I will not allow anything to break me. Clearly, I did not get any justice. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be able to recognize 
the perpetrators, the rapists, the thieves, all of those people, I wouldn't be able to recognize them. It was like, it was so dark. And I decided that I didn't even want to look at them. I wouldn't be able to recognize them if I passed by them on the street. But I think just for starters, I think our systems are so broken to put somebody through what I went through, being examined by a police officer, being told I was lying by said police officer, being rudely mishandled by the medical practitioners, not even attended to straight away because, oh, I don't know, maybe I want to bath, maybe I don't want to be sitting in someone's semen, sitting in blood, sitting in dirt, like I should just be sitting there waiting for you to feel that it's a convenient enough time to come and attend to me after you've had your breakfast and conflicts. To the police who are telling me that I need to pay them to find justice for me. The system is so broken. It infuriates me. It makes me so mad. I'm told that, oh, it's become better. I pray it's become better. No one could even tell me that, okay, this is the help you would need afterwards. These are the resources. These are the people that you can talk to. This is the support group. Nothing. The system is so broken. It's ridiculous. In my in my room, I've got a sign a sign on my wall, big letters in black, and it says "Forgive." Because every day when I wake up, I have to choose to forgive. Choose to forgive the people who did this to me, the people that that raped me, the people that walked by and didn't do anything, that robbed me that abused me. I have to choose to forgive them every day. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. When I was recording this story, I couldn't get over just how many similarities there were between her story and mine. And it dawned on me through Chulu how important, and she insisted on this, to spotlight the issues survivors go through when it comes to reporting it at police stations, how survivors get treated, going to health facilities, how survivors get treated. That entire process <laughs> can be so re-traumatizing and re-triggering because the system is not, I feel like it's not there to protect or make things as smooth as possible for survivors. <sighs> and when she talked about how she was put on medication, I remember when I went to the hospital and Val, my best friend, is the one who took me the next morning. No one explained to me the tests they were running that whole thing of repeating repeating your story that also happened there was a male nurse in the room and even though we said we were not comfortable with that he did not leave and i remember him saying you girls and your girls nights out then when it came you know after you examined and all the tests are done you have to sit and wait until the pharmacist calls you up to get your medication please note up to this point i don't know what tests have been done on me go there to get my medication and my mom had always told me never just take any pills like always ask what is in this what is it for blah 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 the guy's giving me this medication and i'm like okay what is this what is this and he's like they didn't tell you these are arvs so you have to at that moment is when it hits me that you're not only dealing with like the trauma of rape you're you're dealing with um potential diseases potential pregnancy like there are ripple things and then i think i had to go i was in the clear after six months i believe because i i, I did for for um my hiv test you do a test that 
particular day we went, you started on medication after, I want to say three months, but I also can't remember, but I know I went back twice after. So you go, they test you again, you're still on medication. And then after a couple of months or weeks, you go back again, they test you again. And then now, you know, I was in the clear, but like those six months, you're not only navigating like healing from trauma, there's like a looming anxiety over your health. And I remember I used to hide my medication. I used to hide it in like <laughs> a drawer in my room because I was sharing a room with my sister. And at the time I hadn't told anybody. Well, just obviously Val knew another friend of ours called Priscilla, a couple of other friends who are out on that night with us. But nobody in my family knew. So I had to like hide all my medication. Like I see people making light of sexual violence and I'm just like, it's so sickening. Because your entire life changes and you are not consulted. It just, it just happens. And then you see people justifying it in the most vile ways or trivializing it or reducing it to something so stupid. It's absolutely ridiculous. So let me tell you about um, Trulu uh, because I really want you to listen to her podcasts. Trulu is such a beautiful soul. Once you interact with her stuff, you will just feel the energy. And she's so committed to just advancing development for African women, creating opportunities for us to thrive and to be safe. And she does this through her podcast, which is called African kind of woman with chulu i've put a link to it in the description of this podcast please go and listen to it as i'm recording this the most recent episode was about overcoming imposter syndrome <laughs> please listen to it because ah, it's made a lot of sense to me and it's something that i've battled with and there's so many other episodes that she's done that are so powerful as well and so relevant i've put a link to her podcast in the description of this episode she has a blog where she just cheers women on gives such good energy talks about issues that really do affect us and i've put a link to it as well in the description of this episode it's also under the africana woman banner and then another thing that i found so interesting and she's been so helpful giving me recent for this. She has the Africana Woman Visionaries Community, which is a space for African women in entrepreneurship. And she's one of those people who I'm like, Chulu, I don't trust in anybody to join my team. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed. How do I get over that? And start outsourcing some things or bringing in a team member and she always has mad resources. Just like, listen to this podcast, read this article. So she... <sighs> She's such a superwoman. So I've put links to her blog, podcast, and the Africana Woman Visionaries community. And then also a link to her Instagram so you can go and just engage with her there. All right, as you are checking out Chulu's awesome platforms, remember you can always send a story demo. One minute, please. <laughs> Just telling me a bit about the story you want to share on this podcast. You can just record it on your WhatsApp audio note feature and then send it via WhatsApp to the hotline, which is plus 254-768-628-790. That's also the number that you can share any audio notes in case something you hear on this podcast resonates with you. Hi, Adele. My name is Brenda. I'm a really, really big fan of the podcast. I just finished listening to episode 89. And my, oh my, ah, Onyango's story, wow. 
First of all, he's really well-spoken. I really enjoyed listening to him tell his story. But I'm so challenged and so encouraged by his level of self-awareness and his decision to do better and be better despite his childhood and the difficult relationship with his dad. Gosh, I just... I don't know. I wanted to wish him all the joy, peace, love, and blessings in life. And I pray that ah, life will have nothing but good things for him moving forward. Yeah, so thank you. Have a great week, weekend. I don't know. Yeah, Onyango's story, aka Rick's poet, his story was um, so powerful. And if you follow him on social media, I'll actually also put a link to his socials. Maybe I think on his his Twitter is what I have. I'll put a link to his Twitter page in the description of this episode because he's very vocal even when it comes to fighting for women's rights. So yeah, make sure you, you can also interact with him on those platforms. And then also remember that this podcast plays on Trace Radio in Kenya on Monday and Wednesday at 12 noon and at 7 p.m. and on Fridays at 12 noon. So if you go to traceradio.co.ke, you can stream Trace Live there or you can also see a list of all the different frequencies dependent on where in Kenya you are. And finally... Try not to be so happy when I say this so that you don't think that I hate children, but all the noisy kids are gone. There is literally no child in my hood right now. In fact, the only, well, other than my neighbor and her water pump, which by the way is connected to her kitchen sink. So every time she washes or what do you, <laughs> every time she's using her, her kitchen tap the pump goes on which is so irritating because of course she uses it quite often but also our let me not shout because my window is so close to it (laughs) our can you so we got another new daytime security guard i don't know why our guards don't last (laughs) except the nighttime one but daytime they normally change very quickly anyway so he is very religious And especially being a Sunday, the other days he doesn't boom any music, but on Sunday, (laughs) he started booming a lot of gospel music and ah, he started again. So (laughs) two adults, noisemakers, but him I can work around. This other water pump one, I really don't know what I'm going to do, but thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.